This is Joe Goodman of Goodman Games, and before I was corrupted, I listened to Spellburn. You all know exactly who I am. Say my name. I don't have a damn clue who you are. You are. Yeah, you do. Now, say my name. You're Muscovich. You're goddamn right. I want to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. Started. Phone's Recorder off. Recorder is going. Phone is off. Children tranquilized. Yeah. Uh, we'll Tranked. <laughs> Mine are running around like they own the neighborhood. I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's rock. This week, we're taking a look at the profusion of DCC RPG fanzines available to players and judges alike. If a game can be measured by the groundswell of support that it receives from its fans, then the world of DCC RPG suffers from an overabundance of riches. And we're going to talk about all of that this episode. With me tonight, as usual, are my two best judges forever, Judge Job. Bonjour, ami. <laughs> Certainement. And Judge Jeffrey. Hey, everyone. Whew. I don't know about you guys, but I'm wound up this weekend. It's all the nice weather out there. Yeah, we had a nice weather out here in uh, Seattle, too. Nice weather, a Goodman Games Kickstarter that was better than watching Netflix. I don't know what you're watching on Netflix, but... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's the question. I think the question is, what are you watching on Netflix? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, Okay, here's my hot Netflix uh, tip: is uh, if you like really freaky horror movies, see uh, Pontypool. You've seen that one? I have not seen that one. I haven't even heard of that one. Yeah, it's sort of a zombie movie, but not really. You should definitely check it out. <laughs> Pontypool. Yeah, it's really weird. Okay, I'll <laughs> write that one down then. Okay. Well, on that note, let's go to the tavern. And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. this. Tavern talk. So, what did we all do in gaming this past week? Yada, yada, yada. Let's talk about the Kickstarter. No. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, this isn't DCC related, but, you know, how about that uh, uh, Metamorphosis Alpha Kickstarter? It seemed to really take off towards the end there. 
I mean, it hit uh, stretch goals as fast as Joseph could stick them out there in front of it. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Did we yeah. all go in on it? Yeah, I went in. I have to admit, I did not, but only because I'm just, I have a hard time with sci-fi, too much sci-fi. I'm not a big sci-fi gamer, so I did not go in on it. Just partially Jeffrey, that. And, Jeffrey, and Jeffrey, money. Yeah. You're, you're fired. I know, I know. <laughs> it's, I felt bad. I felt guilty, but I just, uh, I just, I just didn't go in. And it's sci-fi. It looked awesome. The book looks awesome. I totally respect books that are put out with that, the you know, the archival quality. You know, the, the super nice covers and things like that. I, I just couldn't quite pull the trigger on it for this one though. Jim's last post I saw on Facebook with all those things that were coming along with it almost had me there, but it was well in hand. Folks had it, so uh, people will get what they want and. Last but, night, last night was the last night, and I felt like I was working the phone banks at a PBS pledgeathon because I spent <laughs> last night on Facebook, you know, messaging back and forth with people answering questions like I know anything. Right? Yeah, I, 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 I didn't even back it, you know, and I, I was writing for it, and then I was like, oh, maybe I can like, you know, finagle a, a copy out of Goodman or something, or figure it out later, but. uh there were so many, you know, all those, you know, the custom dice and the the band and, uh, you know, the color band and all the other extra styles. I was like, oh, man, this is totally worth 80 bucks. I will drop it in a second on this. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess since Joseph posted it on the Kickstarter site, I can talk about it. I got hired to write the free adventure that is now going to come with the book. A little thing I like to call the captain's table. Woohoo! That's pretty awesome. Congratulations, Jim. So, uh, I mean, uh, I, I appreciate what you're saying, Jeffrey, because it means different things to different generations of gamers. This is one that was right before my time, and I always felt, like, left out. And the the rule set that they're reprinting is very like OD&D. In fact, it was like the, the half step between OD&D and AD&D when they were starting to codify the D20 system. So it's funky and clunky, but there's a charm to that. Oh, and I agree, and I think it's a great, you know, I know there's a lot of people interested in it. I think, like I said, the stretch goals almost got me. Like I said, I think that last Facebook post of yours, probably yesterday, I was like, oh, so close. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it probably just wasn't quite my era. And so, and like I said, sci-fi, most folks that know me, I'm not a huge sci-fi RPG fan. So it just, you know, but it looks awesome. Like I said, I think that it's a book done right, and I think people that are in on it are going to get everything they want and more out of it. So I think that's cool. Well, if you get a chance to play or run it, I, for my own purposes, did a scale map uh, just to try and get a grasp on the scale of it. Because people like to say it's a uh, the Starship Warden Metamorphosis Alpha is just a dungeon in space. But if you took a, a correctly scaled map of Greyhawk and dropped the Starship Warden down on the map, it would be visible. It's, it's larger than the city of Greyhawk. You could see it laying on the continent on the map. At 50 miles long. And then, uh, like, Stonehill Dungeon and Expedition to Barrier Peaks, if you put them on a deck of the Starship Warden, it would just be a little dot. So it's a huge, it's like a whole world. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if I realized it was that large. Yeah, it's gigantic. So uh, the Kickstarter's over, so if you missed out, you missed out. But uh, I'm sure there'll be uh, some for sale after this comes out on eBay at exorbitant prices. Yeah, there was also a uh, like a retailer uh, support level on the Kickstarter, and I noticed a few retailers had kicked in on that. So, yeah, including Gateway Games here in Cincinnati. So he'll have copies, and that does lead me back to what I did in gaming this past week because when we were playing uh, Mutant Crawl Classics, I asked for volunteers to play test 
a Metamorphosis Alpha campaign so I can playtest what I'm writing. And all seven of my players went double down, went in, which kind of surprised me. Nice. Yeah, very cool. So how did it go? Oh, we haven't started yet. We'll start like a week from Wednesday. Oh, okay. I figure we'll use uh, the Android underlords to all get used to the system because I've never run it. I've played it a lot, but I've never run it. And then uh, we'll segue to what I'm writing. And you said a week from Wednesday, so this is an addition to your normal Saturday game? Yeah, we're going to see if Jim can step it up and run two campaigns simultaneously. And keep, wow. And keep my job, my day job. <laughs> <sighs> you know what? There'll be plenty of time to not game after I'm dead. Right, exactly. That's that's my philosophy. So you got to burn the candle at both ends there. So how are the crazy players in your campaign, Jeffrey? They are doing good. They were they've been uh, facing Leota, as we mentioned, and her final little gauntlet that she threw down for them uh, bested them. And they again turned to Planar Step to whisk themselves away from her little challenge she had set up. Uh, which worked, got them out of there. Uh, essentially, they'd been passing through a large hallway of traps that had very heavy tolls, as in I killed ten hirelings in one fell swoop at one point. <laughs> uh, so I do believe that might be, it's at least a record for me. I don't know about anybody else, but it's certainly a record for me. Uh, so, like I said, they planer stepped out, and they have actually planer stepped not back into the great city, but they planer stepped to Silamar, uh which uh, is a little town that one of our cutscene funnels had some folks from that town. And while they were inside Leota's little extra-dimensional space gauntlet that she'd set for them, uh, they'd found some, as Job knows, I, I like to mess with the accounting ledgers, and uh, there were some names in there that were from Silamar. So once again, accounting ledgers has formed some of the direction of the campaign, and they are off in Silamar trying to getting set to try to figure out who those names were and why they were in her books. Uh, essentially, they're sort of regrouping, trying to get a new strategy. Uh, they realize she's a little tougher than they thought, so now they're trying to plan and figure out what they need to do to boost their own power to finally take care of Leotard. So they got their butts handed to them, huh? Pretty much. I mean, like I said, they went in with a lot of hirelings and stuff. Uh, I killed 10 in one swoop. More died than that. They lost one henchman. I think one player character as well died in that tunnel too. So I mean, it was a, it was a pretty uh, hefty toll on them as they tried to make it through. Um, it was actually I, the, what I ran them through was sort of a one-page dungeon that I'd grabbed off the one-page dungeon site, and I used it as an interdimensional space or extra-dimensional space that Leotah had formed to help protect her tower. So it worked out pretty well. That sounds awesome. How about you, Job? Well, do anything my... besides writing. <laughs> Yeah, my gaming uh, has been uh, uh, arguing over uh, group SMS and email about when we're going to run our next game. So I think that's finally going to happen next weekend. Um, and other than that, I've been running a lot of one-on-one uh, 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 -on -one sp spell duels um, on, on the ferry while I'm commuting. So you can read into that whatever you want. But... Um, that's what I've been doing a lot of recently. So, are you winning? Um, I'm just kind of uh, mediating. I'm judging them for other people on the boat. <laughs> playing, <laughs> that playing sounds with, awesome. Playing with different rules and stuff. You know. I knew you had one person on the boat that played. I don't know if I knew you had two people that played on the boat. Oh, I got three now. 
Got three. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Like yeah. six, six months from now, this story is going to be. Well, I'm up to thirteen now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've been wanting to put like a little sign, like you know, you know, DCC RPG. Come sit here if you want to play, and just hand <laughs> people a character sheet if they sit down. Yeah, pretty soon they're just going to rename that that particular time travel that trip at a you know DCC cruise or something like that, where everyone to to ride across that time you have to play DCC or something. Yeah, I, uh, I can always hope. It's 35 minutes, so, you know. But, you know, at least with DCC, you can actually do something in 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah, very true. Out there promoting the cause. Well done. Um, before we go to emails, Jeffrey, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Edgar Johnson? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, so some people are familiar with uh, the name Edgar Johnson. Uh, he's uh, pretty active in the DCC RPG community. Uh, he's part of the Metal Gods of... Urhadad uh, fame as well. And he's a college professor in communication studies, and he's conducting some research at the moment into the gaming community. He's posted about this in the Google Plus group um, and on his blog. Uh, But he's looking for more people to uh, participate in those surveys. He's got six of them up there. It's sort of focused in on uh, people involved with uh, OSR gaming, uh, including DCC, and he's looking to get insight into their gaming activities, uh, one of the surveys focuses in a little bit on social media, how much you use it, do you use it in relation to gaming, uh, and essentially he's going to write a, a, you know, a research paper uh, thesis uh, type thing on the results of his study. So if you've got some time, his uh, blog is at revdrdj.blogspot.com. We'll put that in our show notes when it, this episode goes live, uh, but head on over there. Uh, I'll link to the direct post that he uh, it, that states what he's actually researching, so you can read more about it. And then, if you're interested in helping him out, he'll have uh, six survey links on the right. You don't have to do all six; you can choose which ones you think are best. But uh, I've been through done all six; they're not that hard to do, uh, and it helps him out a little bit. Someone in the community that's looking to get some research done. So, a gaming activity that will help somebody with their thesis—that's pretty yes. cool. It might not be thesis because he's – I don't know, but it's uh, his research book or paper he's working on. Uh, he'll describe it more in his blog post, but uh, it, it's, it's worth helping out. Sounds pretty awesome. Okay, well, let's summon some emails. You've got mail. Message for you, son. Summon email. Oh, and the email bag is always full. How about you grab the first one there, Joe? Alrighty. So our first email comes from Darren. Hey, Jim, Job, and Jeffrey. What a great start to the year. A Doug Kovacs interview. For Christmas, my wife gave me the original map number two from People of the Pit by Doug. That's awesome. Um, I had... Just finished running this module before Christmas, and the module is amazing. Every piece of art in the module I was able to show the players to help set the scene. Currently, I'm running Beyond the Crystal Cave UK1. This adventure lends itself very well to the DCC theme. I'm finding the conversion super easy to do on the fly. The success of this has got me looking back at my basic and advanced D&D module collection. I want to relive some of these old adventures again, but with DCC rules. B5, Horror on the Hill, and C2, Castle Inverness are some of my favorites. What are some of your favorite basic or advanced D&D adventures? Do you have any suggestions which adventures would make make fun DCC adventures? 
Have you run any of these old modules for DCC or plan to run any for DCC? Cheers, Darren. All right, so what do you guys think? I'm going to toss it out to you. Well, uh, my favorite uh, old school adventures are things like Expedition of the Barrier Peaks and Tomb of Horrors, which would lend themselves excellently to DCC, not by accident because the flavor of DCC is based on the way some of those really hard, really crazy tournament dungeons ran. Those would convert easy. And I and I did exactly what Darren uh, talked about when uh, I ran the Great Stonehill Laser Massacre by Michael Curtis for my uh, DCC group. And I just converted everything on the fly and almost killed them when I kept the evil uh, sorcerer at 6th level and forgot to knock him down by about half to third, which was fun. But it was easy to do. I mean, you just flip armor classes and stuff like that. What do you think, Jeffrey? Well, you took one of mine because uh, Tomb of Horrors is one that uh, leaps to the to my mind pretty immediately. Uh, a big fan of that one. Uh, I haven't run it in DCC yet, but I'm sorely tempted to. Uh, it may or may not be already set out as a plot hook in my current online game. <laughs> uh, so maybe they'll stumble onto it and I'll actually get to run it. Uh, I mean, what but, could you do to Tomb of Horrors to make it harder? I don't know if I'd make it harder, uh, per se, as much as I just – I sort of look forward to the – I don't know, to see how a set of DCC characters does against it. I actually think they'll do relatively well given the level they're at, but I don't know if I'd – I don't know how much harder I would go, but I, I, that one would be fun. Uh, keep on the Borderlands as a classic, and that's great if you're just trying to get yourself a pseudo – you know, a lot of campaign stuff I do these days is you take a small spot, regional, and, and work out from there. Keeping a Borderlands would work out well, too. You've got caves full of different monsters. If you want to, you know, tweak them out a little bit, uh, you know, mutate them. Or if you know, if you want to mix your sci-fi with it, one of the caves becomes, you know, some mutated alien beast thing. Uh, and it gives you a little bit of a base of operations to work out of. I mean, that could be a real strong start to a campaign. And like you said, Jim, it's not that hard to convert. Uh, you, you know, you switch some ACs around, and uh, it, it's not too hard to convert. A lot of the tips from earlier podcasts can help with giving it that DCC feel. But I think those are probably the two I would sort of jump to the forefront of my mind. How about you, Joe? For me, I, I think what, uh, you know, if I had time to run more games, I would definitely want to run the Slaver series. Oh, there uh, you go. Yeah. What's that? A1 through 4. Um, you know, those are some of my favorites, and they've got all kinds of cool stuff in them. And, uh, you know, probably probably the biggest problem with that older stuff is uh, they have the descending armor class instead of the ascending. Um, so, I mean, what what's the quick conversion? It's like... Um, I, I learned this trick finally because I'm math challenged and I need tricks like this. Uh, you take whatever the uh, armor class is and whatever number you need to... Cr- Make that number nineteen. Add the, the the armor class they have, and the one you want to convert it to. Figure out what number makes that number nineteen, and that's the new armor class. Does that make sense? No. Okay. Well, it, if, if your armor class it, two, then okay. then you need seventeen. 17. To make it nineteen, and seventeen is the correct reversed armor class. Ah, so that makes so much more I sense. Do it because yeah. I always do it. Just nineteen minus whatever their AC is in the normal stat block, which is the same thing Jim said. Just it yeah. works faster for me, <laughs> but it's the same thing yeah. Jim said. <laughs> well, yeah, I have to work around mild <laughs> dyslexia, so I need little tips and tricks like that. No, it makes sense because like the older stuff is like base nine, and then it's base ten for you know kind of three point oh on. So, yep. 
And that's how I figure out. Yeah, I figure out what was the base AC in a, the game, and then take either nineteen minus the AC or twenty minus the AC and get get what. Right. And then so, uh, just this, behalf, this there are people that think adding stuff up is easier. So sometimes it is easier to say I need to hit nineteen, and addition is faster for a lot of people than subtraction. So I want to throw one more uh, old classic module out there. What would be awesome? Mike Battelotto at North Texas Con every year runs B one. The same. He has a map like the size of six church tables at scale to the 25 millimeter miniatures and he just repopulates the dungeon differently so people what, what's are, b ones in search of the unknown or uh keep on the borderlands oh that's keep on the Borderlands. okay and uh you want is it would be awesome to tell people okay you're going to come play basic D. we're running b1 and when they get there hand them dcc character funnel sheets and run it as dcc that would be awesome fill that place up with dcc creatures okay i googled it fast b1 is um in Search of the Unknown. Yeah, okay. I thought it was. That's B1 the one I mean. Quasiton. B, B2 is Keep on the Borderlands. Yep, B1. Yep, that's what I thought. B1, B2. Okay, well, I mean B1. That's the one that uh, Bad Mike runs every year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, and uh, it, though, you know, this isn't classic D&D, but um, I would also throw out there is you know, the older DCC RPG modules um, are written for to be basically compatible with, with D&D 3.0, which is D20. Um I, I just the other day I flipped open a couple of the of the older modules that I had. They are super simple to convert. And half the spirit is already there because they were developing their ideas for what became DCC RPG. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, Curse of the Emerald Cobra. Um, crap. The 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 lizard one that uh, Mike Merles wrote is another really good one. I forgot what it's called, but um, yeah, there's some really good old DCC RPG modules. Um, that are uh, you know they're already D twenty based and when you read the stat block it's it's a breeze to convert. And I have done a couple of those. I've done uh, Senator Secret of Castle White Rock is one I've done for my online group, and I've done the Area of the Crow God is another one I've done. And yeah, they're easy to convert and and run as well. So I've tapped into those old DCC modules a couple times for my DCC games. Nice. So there you go, Darren. There's lots to work with. Next email. And the next email is from Edwin, and he writes, Dear the band, I have a few questions that have come up while rereading the magic and patron se- sections of the rules. I think most of them I can take a dud- make a judgment call on, but I wondered what you guys thought. I've posted some of these on the G Plus community, but I'd pull them together here for discussion. So he's got several questions. I always get the emails with all the questions. Uh, so we'll handle one question and we'll move on to the next as we work through his. And his first one is, spellcasters seem to be allowed to cast any spell as long as their level allows it. But it says more difficult and the cost of failure is much, more, is much, much worse. Page 106 in the book. What are the modifiers and costs in game terms, or should I just make this up? Have I missed some details? I think this has been answered satisfactory by the community, but thought it'd make an interesting discussion point. So that's his first one. The ability to spellcasters to try to cast harder spells than they're normally supposed to be able to cast. I went back and looked that up, and I couldn't figure out exactly what it meant myself. Is that casting like you grab another magic user's spell book and you just cast directly from the book or something? I, you know, I wasn't sure either. I, I mean, I know what he's talking about, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, the same thing uh, along these same lines, um, you know, in the judges judges notes or something chapter – I just noticed this recently that it says, you know, when when you uh, randomly roll your spells for your wizard or your elf, that you roll three spells per spell known. And that is um, those are the spells that you could possibly learn. 
Hmm. Yeah. Uh, go, yeah. Go, I don't think I'd go, seen that. <laughs> I, I never noticed that before. And if you go look, it's before the familiars in the judges' notes section. It's like, oh, well, that makes it a lot less random, a little bit easier for people to like, you know, not end up with ventriloquism and cantrip or whatever. I guess. <laughs> Maybe there's no interest. Like the elf you gave me when we uh, played the one horse below? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who had rope trick and uh, cantrip. Who made that rope trick work for him? Anyway, uh, the best I could come up with looking at this is to knock it down the dice chain when they cast it. So instead of a D20 plus your level, you get to roll a D16 plus your level. Would be one yeah. answer, possibly. Yeah, could, yeah, that could work. Though, yeah, that's again, almost the way I would lean, I guess. But you know the the higher level spells have um, already have uh, you know higher chance of failure. You know that that eleven moves up to you know, the lost failure range moves up as you get higher level too. So you know a, maybe maybe just roll the d twenty and. I have a bad habit of my knee jerk response to things will be the way we used to play AD and D. So like I mean in DCC if I'm a first level wizard and i find a scroll with like this fourth level spell on it i just cast it don't i from the scroll done deal wow okay right or you're nicer than me no what do you do i will i mean i'd make him some kind of do some kind of roll obviously but well right you do your normal spell check but i mean there's wouldn't be any inherent penalty to casting a scroll with a higher level spell than than your level or is that what this rule is talking about I, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, actually, I, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, I mean, the scroll's going to disappear after you read it. Uh, why not let them try to just cast it? Okay, how about the next question? And the next question is, patron spell burn rolls, are they used only for patron spells and invoke patron, or should that flavor pervade all other spells? Same goes for the mercurial magic. Does the patron affect the mercurial magic of spells already known? Discuss. So once you get a patron, does the Mercurial Magic of all your spells you learned after that that are just normal spells change to somehow favor the patron? Like suddenly it's not rats coming out your sleeves, it's frogs because your patron is bobbly blobbly boo, whoever that guy is? Right, yeah, I think that's, you know, would your Mercurial effect be flavored by that? I, I don't remember reading anything about that in particular. I think it's an awesome idea. and If anybody at my table wanted to do something like that, I would I would be in favor of it 100%. Yeah, I think that's the camp I fall in. We really haven't done much, but if the caster, you know, is is committed their patron and wants some of their stuff like that to to, you know, take on that flavor, I I see nothing wrong with it, and I think it'd be sort of cool. Maybe the only case I could see of the specific patron spell burn effects uh, coming to be would be if that was a spell handed you by the patron, like the patron says, "Here's my special spell. Have this." Maybe that in that case, that patron's specific spell burn effects would occur. Yeah, that, that would be a good way of handling it. Yeah. So, I don't know. It sounds like, you know, go with what works for your table and, uh, you know, and, and go from there. I really haven't encountered too much of that. So, the next question is, when casting patron bond, do you just pick one for the player or do you discuss it, roll it, or what? This is actually going on in my game, and they had their choice of my uh, reskin of all the uh, Chaos Lords and Intrigue at the Court of Chaos. So in that case, the player had options, but definitely picked which one she wanted to try and cast Patron Bond on. The way I, I always let the player pick the Patron. I mean, obviously the, the player character is going to contact a Patron that is you know, appealing to them. 
I, I, I don't want to force some other patron that they don't want, you know, they don't like frogs, you know, I'm not going to give them bow bug boo bills. And, you know, if they don't want to ride unicorns, I'm not going to give them the three fates or no, the king of Elfland. Which, by the way, anybody who's picking a patron, that's the one you want. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that's reminding me, Jeff, uh, Jim. You, you did not break my adventure. <laughs> you keep saying that over and over. You keep repeating enough. People are going to believe that you broke my adventure. You did not break my adventure. You played into my hands. Okay. <laughs> Whatever helps you sleep at night, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I pulled a really good move that got three of us out of a TPK. I, I reeled them back in, and that's because, uh, you know, well, you, I'm a you, decent judge. Hey, you got five of them back. I pulled three my way. That's a fair outcome. <laughs> it, was, it was certainly a good player intelligence test. Yeah. So the final question is, do we get a final ruling on spell burning for patron bond? Can you spell burn when you cast patron bond? What is that a, some controversy I'm unaware of? I think there's some debate over whether someone could spell burn 20 to, when they cast their patron bond in order to get something super cool. Yeah, because if you, whether, if, if, you, if you get a really high um, result on that patron bond, it's like, you know, pretty overpowering. You get like free access to um, the, you know, the, the patron spells multiple times a day and stuff like that. Yeah, I thought last time we talked about this, though, we just worked it out as the rules taking care of themselves. Because if you spell burn 20 to get off your patron bond, you're now bonded to a patron who's got you in the palm of their hand because all your stats are burnt to the ground. Yeah, I mean, and you and you owe them. So I don't know. You know, if I was if I was judging that, I would say, yeah, sure. Spell burn all you want. And then, you know, then I would crush them under my heel. um, shortly (laughs) after. So we had a, a something that came up in my game just last week. Uh, we're doing uh, – the, the higher-level guys have got some stooges to do some grunt-level work for them. So they're playing the stooges for a little bit to get a little bit of low-level stuff back in while pursuing goals for the high-level folks. And so a couple of them rolled up new characters that were going to start at first level, and they wanted to know, can we – you know, the elf had patron bond. Can I spell burn to do it beforehand? Because it's like he could have spell burned, you know – six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, and be able to rest up, how do we handle that when it's off camera? So we sort of went with a, if you do it off camera, you get a base D10 on this uh, spell level check when you make the check. Uh, And then when you're on camera, if you're going to do it in the game while we're playing, then you can do whatever you want. Uh, So that's sort of how we handled that, not really letting them spell burn prior to, uh, you know, on a new character. In it, but if they want to during the course of a of a session decide they're going to do their patron bond and you know spellburn twenty like Job says, I'd let them do it. It'll it'll work itself out. Well, I like Job's answer, except that for me the fulcrum point is is it is it a player trying to game the system or am I being provided with a legitimate role playing reason for what's going on? I mean, because it ha- my in my game, uh, this uh, Nikki who plays the wizard who attempted to cast patron bond. She didn't spell burn 20, but she spell burned all her stats down to threes to try and get one off and then tank the roll and roll to one. So that was about a month. That character couldn't go out on adventure while she was healing up from that. Yeah. Ouch. Well, you know, apropos yeah, that sucks. Just... Doesn't it? To spell. Burn yeah, it like does. That so do you spell burn like that and get a one? That's, that's not cool. And now they're out adventuring. She rested up. Now they're out adventuring again and she wants to cast patron bond again, but she's got to wait till she's in the right spot in the right time to pull another stunt like that. She can't out in the middle of the wilderness do that. Yeah. And, I mean, and she after... could, but it would be very bad. 
And, and apropos of the discussion, this was actually uh, something I learned from Jim Ward playing at his table. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was really cool when it happened is uh, we were playing Metamorphosis Alpha and he, uh, yeah, as you know, Jim, he famously lets you pick, you know, 10 items, whatever you want to bring along on this adventure with you. You know, you know what I'm talking about. James? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you pick a death machine, he'll give it to you. And that death machine need needs an ID card before it turns on you, and you don't have the ID card. Crap like that. Right, right. So I was like, okay, you know, I had a a medical uh, a medical hand unit, and he was like, okay, uh, well, how how much experience, or how much uh, hit points do you think that would heal? And I was like, oh, uh, three thousand hit points. He was like, oh, okay, so yeah, that's a little bit too overpowered. How about two hundred? I was like, oh, okay, fine. And then another guy came up with another healing thing, and and he asked the guy, well, well, how much how much healing do you think it, it, you know is in this this item? And the guy was a little more reasonable, and he said, oh, I, you know, about five hundred. Um, and he's like, sure, you know, it's got five hundred hit points. So the person that was reasonable, and 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 you know, he gave them that thing. And then when I was you know tried to go overboard and game the system. Um, you know, he he brought the hammer down on me, and I didn't complain. But um, I just, you know, talk, took that as a as a lesson of some kind of home rule that I'm going to steal in the future for myself. Yeah, that, I, that's as that's as not as exactly what happened, but you know, it's close enough. Close to, enough. As much as possible, I try and say yes to the players, and just make sure that whatever cost there is balances the good that happened. Because that's the yeah. whole point of DCC, anyway, right? It's right. You know, you're 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 no hero. You're a reaver. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so blo- a little blood's gonna get spilled. Life's messy. So Edwin wraps up with, "Oh, and Jim, you need to tell me where all the sound bites come from. I think I get about fifty percent." Edwin. <laughs> I wish I knew which sound bites. Uh, well, in the just in the Spellburn theme, there's a clip from a movie nobody's ever seen except Joe Bittman, who hipped me to it. What was the name <laughs> of that movie? Uh, the Lords of Magic. Which you should immediately go get on Google and look at just for so you see what we were watching on videotape in the 1980s because it's <laughs> it is well and truly horrible but it's fun. Yeah, it's terrible. And I think you know the Monty Python. There's something of, from Ralph Bakshi's uh, movie Wizards, and that's all I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, and uh, Merlin's uh, Charm of Making from Excalibur. Well, that's good. You're not giving any, uh, you know, not making research for the lawyers that are gonna, that want to sue us uh, any easier. So, uh, you're allowed to sample up to thirty seconds without violating copyright. <laughs> okay. Well, there's some Futurama in there too, then. You'd... And uh, and Glitter Wizard, who's an awesome uh, metal band, uh, gave us permission to use their music in our theme. And you can oh, find yeah. a, you can find a link to uh, their Bandcamp site on our website, and we usually mention it in the end credits too. They're awesome. They are yeah, great. Yeah, I love their stuff. I turn them uh, people onto them in the office, and and it's part of our like office rotation of music now. So, and, and Micah, the the singer and uh, guitarist or something, um, he he's a gamer too. I mean, you can tell from the lyrics of the songs, but yeah, he's a total gamer. Okay, let's see. We've still got emails to go. This one is from Speaking of the Devil, Edgar Johnson, who writes us, "Hey, folks." I've been listening and re-listening to the podcast and really enjoy them. Thanks for taking the time to create them. You're doing a great job and bringing a lot of due credit to a great game system. Some of you know me and might be familiar with the campaign that Adam Muskowitz, uh, and he gives pronunciation key there, which is why I said it correctly, Adam Muskowitz and I have been running for the last 14 months the Metal Gods of Ur-Hadad, 
which is apropos of this episode because we're going to talk about that. Uh, most of that we have up on our blogs, so I won't belabor it here. So my question, as longtime judges, do you have a specific setting in mind for your campaign worlds? If so, tell me some more about them and the things that influence their development. For Adam and I, there are various influences, but they can be summed up with the first call for players I wrote and then set out. And the call for players reads, Out of the howling wilderness, amidst sunken cities and long-buried secrets, man has forged a sword and cast off his chains. Swords and sorcery and metal gods, danger, treasure, blood and glory, all mixed in a blender and served up in golden Ur-Hadad, first city of men. Enter, if you dare, the bitchin' mural on the side of your cousin's Ford custom van. That's pretty cool. Uh, thanks and keep it up, Edgar Johnson. So I'll go last. You guys go first. What do you have in mind when you created your campaign, Jeffrey? So, you know, for me, I, I wanted... Think, I think the question is, what what was your appendix in for your particular campaign? Shoot, it was probably a whole uh, mix of things, but I mean, most of it summed up by just sort of a, a gritty setting uh with moments of great power that uh, from some of the the caster types uh that people want to aspire up to mine i guess set out with less great vision from the beginning because uh, in the very beginning i was uh, shoot i wasn't even sure how sure dcc would play out in a full campaign so i was thinking of it more of an episodic uh you know how can i easily drop in adventures here and there and loosely link them together uh of course all great best laid plans, you know, go awry. And, you know, the campaigns are taking on a shape of its own with, with player direction. It's become much more of a campaign than I thought it would with a lot more investment into the characters. And, uh, but because of that, I didn't, I don't know if I set out with a great inspired setting and it's mine's more evolved as the, the players play with it. If they want something, I tend to say yes, maybe yes with a caveat, but, uh, in my head, it's predominantly fantasy, sort of gritty, occasional sci-fi element in there just because my characters like to zip around to different planets and stuff like that sometimes. So I like to facilitate that if I can. So there's a little bit of that tied in. But I, that's sort of my campaign setting in my head in a nutshell. It just really sort of grew organically rather than here's my campaign setting. It's one of the few times I've sat down without a campaign setting in mind and more just let's start playing and let it go and – that's how I got to where I am. That's perfectly legit because any ongoing campaign will begin to create its own mythology over time, player-driven, right? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely been so in my case. And it's sort of cool. It's, it, it evolves more easily if you let the players drive it than if I'd try to form them into something I wanted. But well, I, don't, I, I mean, I know you too. I don't think any of us are the kind of judges that sit down and spend the first half hour of the adventure explaining the world. Yeah, definitely not. That's not me. Yeah, not me either. So what, what were the influences on your campaign world, Joe? Uh, mine's pretty simple. I mean, mine, I always kind of start from the, uh, you know, Lankmar slash Punjar type of gritty city setting. Um and, you know, it's usually kind of a points of light type of uh, setting where, um, you know, there's a few um, cities and then, you know, vast wilderness and, and untamed, you know, lands full of darkness and monsters. And, you know, if you venture too far away from civilization, you're, you're going to get um, stepped on pretty quickly. 
So that, in a nutshell, that's kind of where I've always brought every campaign that I've that I've done um, from. How about you, Jim? Right on. Um, I have very specific things in mind. Uh, I, my current campaign is uh, it's based on a combination of uh, the sort of Jack Vance dying Earth scenario where it's uh, the science that's around, uh, which could be mistaken for magic, is all super science. So even though my setting is post-apocalyptic, you're never going to find a tank or an AK-47. It's all super science technology you, you, uh, you find. And the uh, so Jack Vance's Dying Earth combined with the uh, Ralph Bakshi movie Wizards, which is wonderful. It's an old movie from the 70s, but it's well worth watching because it mixes technology and mutants and magic. And uh, I like a system that will accommodate that. And of all things, an old Jack Kirby comic called Commandy Last Boy on Earth. That was more typical post-apocalyptic in that it uh, happened more or less immediately after the 20th century. So there's still recognizable things. But it's full of every issue. It's got like, you know, talking tigers and, you know, uh, radioactive bats and just craziness. And, I, and those three together are kind of how I sort of constructed my post-apocalyptic world. A little Brian Aldous in there, too. I'm not familiar with Brian Aldous. Uh, who's that? Uh, Gamma World and Metamorphosis Alpha, speaking of. Uh, uh, Jim Ward both drew inspiration from, uh, among other authors, Brian Aldous. Uh, two books. One is called Starship, which takes place on a colony ship, and another one called Hot House, which is a far future where humans are just living up in the tops of trees after you know the world's gotten too warm for them to live anywhere else. Okay, yeah, actually, I have I have read about that before in Wikipedia, but I've I've never actually read any of this stuff. So that's where I'm coming from. So we got one more email. Yep, one more. All right, Go. so this email comes from James West. Hello, burners. I just got around to listening to episode 17, and I thought I'd follow up a bit on my first DCC session. Long story short, 16 brave, zero levels entered, four walked out alive. First time the dice hit the table, one of James Cole, Cody's characters died immediately. <laughs> good, good start to a great session. We played through Portal Under the Stars and had a blast. Several uh, several of those characters are still kicking, including a dwarven mushroom farmer named Chong and a chaotic cheeseman whose personality score of four makes for nice roleplay. We're having a blast playing the game. I think I've run it at least six times so far, with a few of those being character funnels ran at... Uh, Book and CD Hut, a local bookstore. This has been great because I've been able to play with lots of different people and everyone so far has really had a good time with it. It's almost liberating to them when they lose their first PC, or so I believe. Keep it up, guys. Loving the show. Oh, I see a new episode with Doug Kovacs. Nice. JV West. All right. Well, thanks for the email, uh, James. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, the uh, Book and CD Hut is uh, managed by uh, Jim Cody's wife, Rhonda, who are friends of mine yeah southern ohio uh no 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 uh somerset kentucky or in that area but it's stuff it's stuff like this that uh on facebook they're passing around this map of which state rates the nerdiest and kentucky is right up there which you wouldn't maybe initially suspect and it's stuff going on like this because when i grew up in rural kentucky there wasn't much else to do as soon as we found D, that was it nice so good job all right well how about we get to the meat of the show Let's go do some Dungeon Denizens. Go on, boss. Chop his head off. Right, silly little bleeder. Jesus Christ! I warned you. 
My armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are like swords. My claws Okay, we've got a really good Dungeon De Denizen submission this time. Uh, the artwork that came with this, I'm going to post on the website with the write-up of this exactly as it is, because it is awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one, too. Um, you know, it came from a very imaginative young person, and um, I, I just thought the write-up was brilliant. Yeah, I thought it came out looking pretty cool. The picture's cool. Uh, the write-up is cool. It definitely came out looking good. I mean, don't you just love the head on this thing? I do. Those ears are awesome, and the the claws uh, on the hands are just uh, they're pretty pretty awesome. Well, who would like to read this fine submission? I vote for Jeffrey. <laughs> okay, I will do that. Uh, so the winner of this week's uh, Dungeon Denizens is DM Kojo and his son Chase. Uh, his Eight-year-old son, Chase, uh, sort of created this. They worked on it together. Uh, Chase is the one that drew it. Maybe DM Kojo drew it, but uh, looks like Chase probably drew it. And it is called the Gonter's App. And it uh, is a vicious, bipedal, lizard-like creature that stands seven feet tall, has a triangular-shaped head, two long horns, razor-sharp claws, which are steely blue in color, a scorpion-like tail, and covered in green scales. It constantly drips a green slime from its long fangs. Uh, these creatures inhabit dark, moist caverns and do not typically venture into the daylight unless absolutely necessary. Uh, Gaunter's apps often hunt in packs of four to six and are known to scrape their claws on the stone walls to keep them sharp. This emits a very eerie sound akin to a knife on a whetstone, and many an adventurer has had that, th th that sound ringing in their ears as they met their doom. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, it is. I like the fact that they, they run their one packs of four to six. I don't know. If I saw four to six of these coming my way, that'd be probably pretty scary. But I like how they scrape their claws on the stone walls because that gives you so many cool things as a, as a judge to like either A, sounds coming from some you know, twisted cavern passage. You can't see it yet, but you hear the scraping on the walls that you could just drive players nuts with. Coupled with, even if you weren't, they weren't actively scraping, just the marks on the walls. I think those two things alone just help you set up. I can picture this whole little cavern with these guys in it that are, you know, marred walls from they've been scraping their claws and this scraping sound in the distance that the caves just hide. So I think it's really cool setup for the judges to really have a lot of fun with these guys. 48 hit die and a poison scorpion sting. That's uh, four or six of those at a time. That's a bad day. It is a bad day. That's when you see four to six of them. It's like, hmm, we might leave their lair. <laughs> right? Magic missile. <laughs> I have a spell burn. <laughs> yeah. That's when you're invoking the king of elf land and getting the hell out of there. <laughs> I get a feeling that trick would only work once on you, Job, so I'd have to come up with something new next time. That King of Elfland does that all the time. We had it happen at a con game at Origins, too, where the King of Elfland pulled us back out. Well, the guy at uh, Guardian Games, uh, what's his name? The the guy who owns Guardian Games, Tim? Jim? Gateway Games? Tim's Gateway Games, sorry. Yeah, DM Todd. DM Todd. I think he was the one when we were playing at, at, uh, at Gary Con. He was like, yeah, King of Elfland, go back in time. Yeah, we're just going to leave. <laughs> we're going home. <laughs> like, you what? 
yeah, we don't care about all that treasure. We're just going home. I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. DM and Todd and I talk too much, I guess. And they got some, some consensus around the table. Like, yeah, we want to go home. I was like, okay, awesome. I'm going to the bar. See you guys later. <laughs> Game is over. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. All right. Well, that does it for Dungeon Denizens. Let's go do some Mighty Deeds. Wait a second. I have an idea. That's plenty for the both of us. I move for no man. <laughs> Ow. So tonight's episode we're going to do featuring DCC RPG fanzines. This is a show we've wanted to do for a long time, but now I'm kind of glad we waited because there are more fanzines to talk about. Um, I mean, if we had done this show six months ago, we would have just done a show on Crawl by uh, Reverend Dak Ultimac, and uh, which is great. In fact, uh, Joe Dak, uh, Reverend Dak is kind of the Pete Best of Spellburn. He was almost a host. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, he was in early talks with us when we, uh, Jim and I, were first uh, putting the show together uh, to be a co-host. But uh, unfortunately, our schedules didn't work out. Um, so we, you know, we ended up with our fourth choice, Jeffrey Tadlin. <laughs> <laughs> ended up with me. Sorry, y'all. It could have been Reverend Dak, but you got me. <laughs> we won't talk about the other uh, three guys that were ahead of you, Jeffrey. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. I think you had Dak before you had me. But anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I did. I did. Yeah, so yeah, you know. But you were you were always up there, Jim. I think you just took a while to respond to me because I like emailed through, you know, your other podcaster and I had no idea how to get in t- contact with you. So or you know, you're all famous and on save or die and stuff, so Oh yeah. That's famous. Um so Crawl Fanzine was is the first and oldest uh, DCC RPG fanzine. Uh, Dak started that back in uh, May 2012, which sounds like uh, ancient times now. Uh, and it's up to uh, issue nine as we speak. Yeah, yeah it's had and, a pretty long run. It's been doing pretty good. I mean, in, in, in DCC dog years, that makes him the grandfather of the fanzine scene. Definitely. Yeah, and, I mean, and the quality of his stuff is it's been so great. I think it just intimidated other people from even trying to put their stuff out there. I mean, yeah, I agree. These zines are, I mean, as far as the zine world goes, I mean, they're very well put together, good amount of art in them. Uh, well laid out, uh, a fair amount of pages too. I mean, in them and just the, and that doesn't speak of the content, which is usually pretty spectacular so yeah it, it's definitely as the front runner out of the gate it set the bar pretty high i think for dcc fanzines well, people are constantly in the google plus group asking for uh adventure ideas and new spells and new character classes and in the forums too and crawl fanzine is the first place you should go yeah it's got the character classes yeah. and a couple supplemental rules and uh they've got the one they put out that had just an adventure in it and uh yeah lots yeah. of new magic items lots of adventures Yep. I made a I made a list of all the DCC character classes that have appeared in Crawl. You can play uh, the Orc class, which we did in our uh, game out at Gateway Games. Uh, the Bard, the Gnome, and Paladins and Rangers. Which Paladins and Rangers are usually the first thing people ask for. Yeah, and and you know it's also worth mentioning that you know Dak. Uh, if you look in in the front of any DCC RPG um, adventure. Uh, has edited most of the adventurers. So, 
didn't he, uh, I forget who did which part, but either Daniel J. Bishop uh, rewrote some of those original DCC adventures that were for 3.5 for DCC RPG, or Dak did, and the other guy edited it, like uh, the Black Pearl. Daniel Bishop did the conversions, I know that. Okay, yeah. then Dak was Dak, the editor on it. Probably, yeah. He's the editor for a lot of them. If not all, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. And the crawl fanzine wasn't enough. He, uh, in December, published a PDF. A crawl fanzine is available in print or PDF, but in December, he enlarged his scope to include DAM, uh, a, a PDF-only DCC RPG fanzine that's like a magazine. If you look on it on your iPad, it's full-color cover, painted cover, and everything. Is he going to keep doing those? Does anybody know? I don't know for sure. I know that in tent is there but i haven't seen the other one come out and he's doing that one with uh garrett oliver i believe is the other big player in the the damn magazine uh, i know that they had announced it took a little bit for him to get it out the door so i'm not sure if they're still gathering uh you know adventures together and getting you know we all know how things come up and sometimes put things delayed so but i believe the intent is to come out with another one of these that it's supposed to be a you know a regular release but I don't, I'm not sure where it stands at this point in time. Although it was electronic, it was like a big magazine. And, uh, I mean, the first issue had like three separate Daniel J. Bishop adventures in it, something like that. It was crazy, man. You know, I still have not picked that up. Uh, I, but I think you have, right, Jeffrey? Yeah, I've got uh, got it. And um, it's got a couple uh, Daniel J. Bishop adventures in it. Um, it's, how many adventures? One, two, three, it's got uh, three adventures in it. It's got the uh, Barbarian class in it. And uh, for people that are always asking about, you know, how do I convert this? How do I convert that? It's got a, a great converting material to D- DCC RPG article in it uh, by Daniel Bishop, who's the one that did the conversions for uh, the adventures Jim mentioned. So, you know, it, it's well worth picking up from that standpoint. Um, and like I said, it's, it's laid out well. Uh, you know, Dak was the one that published it. Uh, like I said, on, on an iPad, it, you know, color. Um, it's it's a pretty cool if you're looking for DCC adventures uh, to drop into your game. Can we do our each one give our favorite thing ever that we saw in Crawl Fanzine? Yes. Yeah, it's fine with me. Assuming everybody has a favorite. I mean, I do because of, I mean, there's a lot of campaign content and all kinds of crazy stuff. But my very favorite genius thing that Dak put in there was his patron write-up for uh, – Vander Dandeklanden. There you go. Who's a patron the players can have. Who's the player character's future self coming back down the time stream to help out all the infinite parallel versions of himself achieve fame and fortune. I thought that was the best idea for a patron ever. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, that was in number one, right? Uh, Part of it was in one, and then it got spread out over a couple other issues to do the full write-up with like the patron spells and everything. Yeah, right after I wrote um, uh, Glipkario's Gambit, which is very similar, uh, was when I read um, that 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 first crawl, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is exact. This is basically almost exactly what I just wrote in this thing I turned into Goodman." So, yeah, I like that one too. I thought it was really cool. Oh man, it happens to the best of us. I was pitching my uh, Metamorphosis Alpha idea to Michael Curtis, and the first sentence in, he's like, "Ooh, that's just like something I'm writing," and then we figured out it wasn't, but. <laughs> Great minds think alike, right? Yeah. Anyway, as far as mine, um, I, I would say it's got to be number eight. The uh, I, I believe that's the latest one, the uh, the firearms issue. Uh, nine is out, but I don't have it. But yeah, oh, I don't have nine either. 
Yeah, the firearms issue was great. And they actually did it for, uh, they did two versions. One for uh, Swords and Wizardry, I believe. Called there Hack. was a Swords and Wizardry one, yeah. Yeah, and that one's called Hack on the uh, on the front. And then um, and then there's the Crawl version, which is DCC RPG. Um, and that one's great. I just, it's, uh, it's really inventive. And it's something that a lot of people might want to add to their game. And there's, you know, there's really no rules out there for it. So... Highly recommend crawl number eight. How about you, and Jeffrey? I'll swoop back to uh, issue number two and uh, the legendary items. Uh, it was the loot issue, and there's legendary items, and it's essentially uh, magic items that sort of grow with you. Legendary items. I hate to give out sword plus one, sword plus twos, and DCC games. Uh, so legendary items, you could give it to a character, you know, first, second level if they happen to get lucky and stumble upon it. And it sort of grows in time. Uh, and then it gives you just some possible item enhancements and it shows you what each character level, how the item might grow in power. Um, and some of it could just be plus. Some of it could be an equivalent to a plus. So, you know, what would be equivalent to a plus two to a sword? Maybe there's some other effect that it comes with it. But I think it just gets shifted you to the to the right idea with magic items to they're not everywhere so when you get one it's not like you're looking to trade it up it's like how is this thing going to grow what's it going to do uh in that aspect so i I, i'd have to go with the legendary items out of issue number two see i thought you were going to pick crawl seven tricks uh, tips (laughs) tricks and traps this really ridiculous article uh critical table t traps by some some joker named Jeffrey Tadlock in there. <laughs> I, I thought that would be poor taste to choose my own little article, so yeah. I tried to shy away from it. But Not thanks, on this Joe. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Self promotion is the uh, you know is one of the rites of passage. <laughs> so we, we could change the top of the show for Job too. So what did you write in gaming this week, Job? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have time yeah. to game anymore, but he's been writing stuff like crazy. So, in conclusion, we'll put the uh, links to all these various fan scenes we're discussing up on the uh, website, and you should definitely go get them. Um, I think every back issue of Crawl, uh, I for sure digitally is still available. Um, he may have sold out of some of the print issues of some. Yeah, I think the print's harder to get. He had a one up for auction for the, I forget what charity it was, but I forget which event it was, but he put it up for charity where it was one of the very Crawl number one, limited release, gold foil release type thing, and I tried to get that, but I got outbid pretty quick. But, uh, but yeah, the, the digital ones should still all be available. I mean, speaking of shameless promotion, when I'm pimping Gateway Games here in Cincinnati and DM Todd, I'm not just doing it because that's where I run my games. I mean, DM Todd is a madman. I think I bought the first couple of issues of Crawl directly from Dak, and then uh, DM Todd started carrying them on the shelf. Every issue comes out, he gets maybe four or six of them. That is so cool. Yeah, I got to make it down there to visit Gateway because I haven't. I've been to the other one, haven't been to his yet. I need to get down there. Yeah, I wish I could just walk into a game store and there was Crawl there. That's awesome. He got some of that Brave Halfling stuff before the supporters of the Kickstarter did on his shelf. Somehow, he's crazy that way. Oh, I wouldn't bring that up. Yeah, that's a sore topic, man. How dare you tread there? Oh, sorry. I got I got some copies relatively early too, but everyone blames it because I've got the blog and I was just a token. Here it is, so you can prove people are getting it. But yeah, tough tough topic. I I apologize, Jeffrey. What I meant to say was ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just people have you know kind of lambasted him online a couple times. So 
I, it resolved itself though. It all went out, right? Yeah, yeah. I think eventually. I think it's all done now. But for a while, that was people were pretty testy about that. Well, I mean, you and I work for the Dark Master, and he just takes care of all that stuff. And our, you know, things you write just show up later. I've done the other part. I was, I don't know who knows this and who doesn't. I published the fourth edition of Metamorphosis Alpha with uh, a game company I created that lasted like a year and a half back in the early two, in the mid two thousands. And you know, having the entire print run of something literally stuck on a boat from China and not being able to get it through customs when you're already running print ads saying it's out. It's a tough place to be. It's hard. Yeah, I bet. Man, I can't even get my my module out. It's really tough when you try to do it yourself. And um, so, I, you know, I feel for anybody that, that, that steps into that area. Okay. Well, moving along into some of the newer fanzines that have come out, let's talk about Crawl Jammer, Mr. Tim Callahan. So this one was pretty interesting. Um, he uh, Tim Callahan is... Uh, uh, I guess he's a writer for Tor.com, um, among other things. And they've kind of had their, like, you know, read-along Appendix N campaign going on on that site for a while. And he put out, you know, his own kind of uh, take on on the Spelljammer campaign called Crawljammer. Um, I'm pretty sure they're working on uh, issue two now. I've seen a little bit of talk about that on, on some of the social media sites. Um, Do you guys have issue one already? I have issue one, yeah. Because those are going to be collector's items. He just uh, put up on on Facebook this weekend that they have uh, redone the format with a new logo, and they reprinted issue one with the new look. So all these pale blue issue ones that we have now are collector items. Oh, wow. That's cool. Cool. I'd seen they'd redone the logo. I didn't know he'd gone back and reprinted issue number one uh, with the new logo, so that's cool. I will put my gloves on me i'm putting it down now and won't touch it till i get the gloves out (laughs) (laughs) you may be kidding but go on ebay and look for some of those old alarms and excursions holy crap oh i know i keep telling my wife that most of my collection it's collectible it's worth money something's got to pan out for me at some point right (laughs) it might be this zine right here (laughs) so so one way of talking about crawl jammer is it's dcc rpg in space but it's that's really too simplistic. It's real Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of space, sort of like per- uh, Harley Stroh's Perils of the Purple Planet. Yeah, uh, I think so. Um, I uh, I would definitely think uh, Crawl Jammer is um, not as well put together as as maybe Crawl is. Um, but so I am looking forward to issue two because um, after reading issue one, I kind of didn't feel like I could run a Crawl Jammer campaign. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do think you need more. Though what I did like was that he included ships in there to help you get so you could get started, but it's like it needed a little bit yeah. a little bit more. So, but yeah, I think more zines to help flesh out those that that genre would be useful. Well, I mean, right, you, he's publishing the rules an, an issue at a time, but I mean, those ship-to-ship combat rules for, you know, outer space ships, I thought were pretty solid. Agreed, and I and I do think it's cool. You know, if you're going to open up, you got to figure out how are these people going to get into space. And opening up with you know ships and ship combat is a pretty strong way to do that. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite article in the first episode uh, issue. But uh, I mean, Jeffrey, you don't think you could run your guys through Cry Freedom and let slip the Batman of Venus? Okay, I could probably I could run it that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm flexible. It's just yeah, I could run that. <laughs> 
I could run that. I mean, shoot, I could have dropped that onto the planet they ended up on, even though they didn't take ships, but used a, you know, planar step. So, I mean, that would have been a perfect adventure for me to drop them into when they hit planet Zune on mine. So, I mean, yeah, there's certainly material worth doing in here, and I'm just anxious to see what's coming in the, the next next issues. Spelljammer yeah. was way after me as a campaign setting. We didn't do campaign settings because, we, like we were talking about earlier, we'd played long enough that our campaign had its own setting. But did you guys play Spelljammer back in the day? Not me. I, I did not. Uh, it goes back to my sci-fi thing we talked about earlier. I'm not a huge, pure sci-fi guy. Uh, mixing it up because my players really want to do it sometimes is cool, but I myself probably don't get too into the sci-fi piece. So I didn't do Spelljammer as a in the early days. Yeah, I don't I'm kind of kind of like sort of agree sort of disagree with you, Job. I mean, it definitely left me wanting the second issue and more, but I mean, there was like a, a adventure, a new character class, those uh mercenary lizardmen who travel in space. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and all I'm saying about it is is that it's it's definitely cool and uh I'm looking forward to more issues. Um so they kind of flesh it out more so that I could actually like, you know, run my own campaign in there without having, you know, maybe known anything about Spelljammer beforehand. Right on. You should write something for it in all your spare time. Yeah, in all my spare time. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, that moves us along to the newest uh, fanzine in the DCC RPG scene, Metal Gods of Ur-Hadad. And I've got this. Watch this. Adam Muskowitz, Edgar Johnson, and Wayne Snyder. Those are the ones. I picked this up at GaryCon straight from Adam himself. Those guys. So, I mean, they had me as soon as I opened up to the first page, and they explained that in this campaign setting we use a D11. What's a D11, you ask? Well, here's the mechanic. Yep, that was great. I love that. For a campaign that you turn up to 11, you need to roll a D11. Yep, that was yeah, no. perfect. Now, this one is the first um, issue. Um, you know, I really liked everything that Musk Levitz wrote. Um, he, he, <laughs> I, I, I felt that that I could actually, you know, run, start running my own Metal Gods of, of Ur-Hadad campaign from this first issue. Like, it'd be great to get some more material, but like, I felt like I could do it, you know, just, just with what's in this book. So I... I Kudos to them on that, and there's you know great um, uh, you know random tables and generators and stuff in this thing that uh, that uh, Edgar wrote um, the uh, zero level funnel adventure kit. Yeah. So I mean that right there is just like amazing article. Well, we really were, great work. We we're talking earlier in the podcast about I think how it's generally annoying when a judge sits down and explains the campaign to you for a lengthy amount of time. It's like a long character story that won't end, but that opening here's what metal gods of ur hadad is had me you know from paragraph one the, just the, the quality of the way it was written including some not safe for work language so kids don't read this it's very yeah. uh uh robert e howard yeah i, I really like uh muskwillitz's writing it's just great i thought the random tables were cool with the neighborhood generator the gang generator uh all stuff that would fit great. Uh, oh my God! Somebody, on, somebody was on the Google Plus DCC group the other day asking, "How do I generate, you know, this whole town for the adventures to go through?" And here it is in this fanzine, neighborhood at a time. How many gangs are there? All kinds of stuff. 
Yeah, so I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it's chock full. I mean, a zine, you know, it's relatively, you know, zines are not known for their large format size. But, I mean, there is pages 10 and 11. I'm just looking at it now, and it's like the neighborhood generator. It's like there is a ton of stuff in here to help you generate a neighborhood. Everything from are there gangs there, how high the buildings are, what kind of structures, the character of the neighborhood, landscape. I mean, it's all here, but on, on two pages. So a, definitely a great way to jumpstart if you ever end up in a city and need to generate a neighborhood super fast. Well, that's the one hit I'm going to make on it is they got all this content in here by, you know, kerning and letting the types and making the fonts so small that it's all really, really crammed in there. It's a little hard. Uh, for, it's a little hard for me to read at my age. That That's, yeah, definitely valid. There's a lot of material packed into this uh, 20 pages. So, yeah. And oh, another good thing about this is, um, you know, Wayne Snyder did all the art in here, um, including the cover, and I think it it looks really good. It's like a perfect matchup between uh, his personal style and the style that they're presenting in the campaign. Like if you yeah. were if you were in a metal band and you needed some cover art, Wayne would be your guy to go see. Yeah, and, and um, there's some you know questionably uh, strange art in here as well. If you kind of look closely at the uh, the street urchins on page eight, or or even the back cover, <laughs> what you know what's hanging on this guy's waist, uh, the spider's waist here, but. <laughs> That's a black man. What do you think it is? <laughs> oh man, the little hidden things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had to put my glasses on. Now I see what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a metal campaign. It is. It is a metal campaign that goes up to eleven. So, uh, did you really like that uh, D11 mechanic? I, I want to talk about it so everybody can use it. Well, there there is a D11 or should, now. Or should, we, so. or should we make people buy the fanzine to find out? I, thought I say cool. make them get the fanzine. I do think the mechanic was pretty cool, though. Okay, we'll leave it mysterious. You want to find out, you have to go get this thing. I, I like it, except since since this came out, there is a D11 now. There, were, it, there was a D11 in the, that DCC Dice uh, campaign, Kickstarter. Oh, well, bullshit. I don't care. I'm using this mechanic. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because it's cool. It is cool. Uh, who... Which one of these guys is the website that this is all hosted on? Is that is that Adam or Edgar's website? I think it's Adam's. Right? I'm going to guess Adam because elsewhere they attribute all layout, editing, and annoying computer parts of putting it together being Adam. So I'm going to so guess Adam. This uh, fanzine is obviously on uh, Adam's website, but his whole website is a blog that you should go read too, and the uh, URL will tell you everything you need to know about it. It's www.kickassistan.net. <laughs> I think the, the, the publishing company for the fanzine is the Kick Assistan Bureau of Tourism. Yeah, which is great. I stumbled across that somewhere the other day, and I thought that was awesome. The Ministry of Tourism. I'm sorry. Okay, well, that just leads us uh, to a uh, talk about a preview of a fanzine that's about to come out but hasn't quite made it yet. You guys know anything about uh, Crawling Under a Broken Moon? I only uh, know it by title. Yeah, and the web I've seen the website. That's it. So post-apocalyptic DCC RPG by a gentleman I'm unfamiliar with named Reed San Filippo. Me either, but, um, you know, I definitely would like to add it to my library of zines, so... Yeah, Sounds that's interesting. Be interesting. I know he's been posting some of the G plus uh, forms about it, you know, but it's just been in passing that I've seen it. I haven't looked. Uh, I haven't looked real closely at it yet. Well, they're on the verge of publishing the first issue. They say on the uh, 
blog website that it's all put together now. And uh, uh, Reed San Filippo uh, promotes it as Gonzo post-apocalyptic content for DCC RPG. Sounds promising. I'm not going to be able to get this one, so I'm going to depend on you guys to go get it and report back. I have to keep my IP clean because of what I'm writing. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you for that. Normally, I'd go straight to it like a moth to a flame. <laughs> yeah, are you like that too? I, I have so many things that like I don't read because I'm a, I just, I don't want to be have my thoughts polluted or my idea, you know, kind of come up with an idea I thought was my own, and then I look back and like, oh, well, I read something like that. So did I think of that or not? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a good policy if you're a creator in general, but my day job is all patent attorneys and IP, and I, I know what I should do and what I shouldn't do, so i got to stay clean. But uh, I don't mean that in any way except to offer my full support to the idea and the fanzine because I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I mean, as soon as you call something crawling on a broken moon, it gives me visions of Thundar the Barbarian, which would be awesome. Yeah, nice. There's a campaign setting that would lend itself to the DCC mentality. Is that before you guys? Am I that old? Is Thunder the Barbarian before you guys? No, just, man, that was that was uh, you know Lucky Charms on Saturday morning for me. Okay, like, okay, I'm just checking. A little bit creepy for you, Jim. You you should have been hanging out in the bar with chicks or something. <laughs> I was in high school. I wasn't that old. Oh, okay, all right. And I still watch cartoons, so I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, has anybody else got anything to say about the fanzine scene except it's awesome? Nothing other than that's awesome. I mean, it's great to see so many out there. And like you said, you know, we talked about doing fanzines earlier. And at the time, it would only been Crawl. And now we've got, you know, two others look at it, a third on the way. And well, actually, Dam's out too. So, yeah, it's definitely a scene that's uh, going well for DCC. So, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches. I don't know of any fanzines going on for any other game system like this. Do you guys? Right. That That's exactly the point I was going to make next is, you know, you don't find this kind of stuff for um... – you know, D and D or um, or maybe recent editions of D and D or Pathfinder. I mean, people put some stuff online, but there's just not the same kind of scenes and creativity and art that are coming around um, their scenes. So, I think this is you know really good sign for DCC RPG and its future. Extremely apropos for a game whose flavor is pointedly old school. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well let's uh, go to Patron Bond and rate this scene. Who are you? Your new lord and master. What orders from mortal, my lord? Oh, don't trouble. One thing I can't stand, it's people groveling. Patron Bond. So, here we are at Patron Bond, and, uh... I, my initial thoughts when I did the show notes for this was to rate them each one at a time, but then decided it was probably just easier to rate the whole fanzine scene. That's just I would do the whole. We kind of gave our kind of thoughts on each each of them in turn. If people want to rewind or listen to this episode again, they can do that. So in Spellburn style, between a rating it as a critical hit, a hit, a miss, or a fumble, where do you guys fall out on these fanzines? I don't know, I'm gonna just jump in there and 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 crank it up to eleven. It's a um, it's a super critical hit. There's uh you know like you were saying earlier, Jim. There's an, just an embarrassment of riches. There's whatever tens of episodes or I'm sorry, tens of issues of zines that you can get um, to uh, you know expand um, and you know the gaming material that that there's out there for DCC RPG. 
So, you know, super critical hit for me. And I give it a critical hit as well. Uh, I was gathering all my zines up today to, to, you know, make sure I was fresh up on them and stuff like that. And it's just like, man, this is awesome. I haven't had this many zines since like back in my, back when I used to do freestyle BMX and zines were popular in that genre. And I, and I like how, I like how they add different bits to the game. Uh, people are always looking, like you said, character classes, adventures, uh, you know, DCC in space, uh, their own little campaign settings in the city. And it's like, the zines have you all covered. Uh, just uh, go out, grab them. I love the paper format. Uh, I know several of them are starting to become available in PDF as well. Uh, but, you know, getting some of these in the mail, it's just awesome. Makes your day great. Uh, so critical hit for zines and, and, and whatnot. I'll definitely third the critical hit and uh, agree with both of you. I mean, the the answer to eight out of ten questions that comes up on the Goodman Game forums is just go buy Crawl Fanzine because it's in one of those issues. There's your answer. Yeah, yeah. it has a lot of yeah. content. Definitely. I mean, and, until we get our DCC annual, this is exactly what you want as terms of alternate rules and extra stuff. Yeah, definitely. You could compile them all, and they could just rebind it as the DCC annual and be almost there. (laughs) Well, so so Dak, I see a Kickstarter in your near future, like a hardbound collection. Ooh, that would be nice. Idea copyright Spellburn. No, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) You can just send us a review copy. That would be sweet. Okay, well that'll wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for listening, and you guys have a great night. See ya. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Later, peoples. And we're out. Cool. The Spellburn Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Spellburn theme music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard. You can find them at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. Promotional consideration for tonight's episode was provided by the Kick-Assistan Ministry of Tourism. Adam Muscovich was a Mr. and Mrs. Muscovich production. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Spellburn. <laughs>